Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. We're back. Uh, happy to talk baseball again. First, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floored Home Carpet One, their third generation family business established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest running flooring businesses for all your flooring needs. Think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Of course, I'm joined by my colleagues, Matt Corey and Stephen Loftus. Glad to talk to you guys. Uh, missed you last week. Let's get back into it today. I sent you guys uh, kind of an overly filled uh, agenda. Let's it's lengthy. We're going to get into it, man. Yeah, <laughs> let's, see what, let's see what we can cover today. So uh, leading off, there's an article at The Ringer that's got a fair amount of discussion at the board. Uh, the author Ben Lindbergh, uh, lengthy piece there on the merits of moving back the mound. Um, Matt is going to let you lead off and kind of give some reaction to, uh, uh, to that article and what your general thoughts are there. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, Ben's a good writer and he's a guy who examines both sides pretty well, I think. And this is, you know, this is obviously going to be a bit of a, you know, a, a fight, I guess, between, um, you know, people who are, you know, maybe more historically oriented with the, within the game and, and then those who want the game to change, you know, for the better. Um, I kind of found myself persuaded to a certain extent more, more so than I expected to be. Um, I, cause I, there's, there's different ways that you can go about cutting down strikeouts, right? I mean, that you don't necessarily have to do something drastic like move the mound. You can change the strike zone. That'll do it. Um, you can move uh, the walls back. Um, that's more complicated for obvious logistical reasons. But if you mandated, you know, uh, a certain distance, um, that will uh, make home runs more difficult. And maybe that changes some approaches down the line. And, and uh, you know, a more contact-oriented approach would pay off for uh for players um you could lower the mound that's another thing you could do so there's lots of different ways i think to go about doing it um but you know i i think the the basic idea is more or less correct that you know strikeouts have been going way way up home runs have been going way way up and um those are kind of you know home runs okay fine i kind of i kind of I'm a little dismissive of, of home runs in the sense that, you know, they're fun to watch live, but I don't think more or less home runs is really a problem for baseball one way or the other. Um, I think it's, it's actually likely that if you remove home runs, that will be a negative for baseball. But I do think that putting the ball in play more, uh, i.e. decreasing strikeouts is, is a good way to go. So I think it's good that they're trying to study that, um, you know, with, with the, mandating some stuff in the minors. Um, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. There was actually one specific quote that I wanted to bring up since I have the floor here. Um, uh, Lindbergh talked to Kyle Bodie of driveline. Um, and he's also the pitching, I think the pitching coordinator, forgive me if I'm getting his, uh, 
title wrong, with the Cincinnati Reds. And he said, I strongly, strongly suspect, there's a quote, I strongly, strongly suspect increasing the distance, he means between the mound and um, home plate, uh, will lead to increased walks, increased strikeouts, and fewer homers. Um, now, Lindbergh presented that as a counterpoint in the article. Um, but I think that's that's pretty ridiculous. And I, I wanted to get... Um, you know, a, a much smarter person's uh, take on it than than me. And uh, so it's good that uh, Stephen and Chris are both here. Um, Stephen, what is what was your reaction when you when you hear that and think about it? I mean, to me, it seems like it's just it's not debatable. If you move the mound back, strikeouts are going to go down. Like, what's the opposite of moving the mound forward? Like, what if you move the mound towards home plate? Strikeouts are going to go up. Makes sense. So I what was your take on that? So I actually focused on that quote as well, because it really interested me. I think he might be temporarily right in that, yes, the there's going to be more break. And also, it's going to take batters time to react to that change. Right. And because of so much of hitting is timing, I do think there's a chance that, yeah, strikeouts actually temporarily go up. But after an adjustment period, after batters become a little bit more used to that shock that is different than the game that they grew up with and training their, you know, training their minds, bodies, eyesight, timing all around. I do tend to think that a moving the mound back would come down on the side of hitters, but I don't think it would be an immediate. Yes, absolutely. Down on the hitter side. I think there would have to be some adjustment period there, but really the only way we would know is to actually have it done. And with that in mind, you know, Testing is needed, and I absolutely, Major League Baseball should be funding it. If they're going to be, I mean, to a certain extent, you could say they could try to fund it by mandating that the minor leagues do it, or they have these partner leagues, so maybe the changes first go to the partner leagues, or this would teams would probably not be thrilled with this, but the you know collegiate wood back leagues, they could try it there. There are lots of testing grounds for this, but you know, a first step should probably be looking at this kind of within a laboratory setting, and then you know maybe within the context of minor league or um, amateur games that Major League Baseball has their control over. Again, I think that it's not an immediate all-out win for the hitters, but I think in the end it would come down on their side ultimately if they move the mound back a titch. But really, this is something Major League Baseball does have to look at because, I mean, teams, their goal is to optimize around winning, and it seems optimizing around winning at this point is – you know, trying to strike out, being a little more, uh, you know, batter, batters being a little bit more free swinging and the consequence being there are more strikeouts. But Major League Baseball's goal should be to optimize around a certain level of balance and entertainment. I mean, like, I actually have a couple notes in this podcast about non-baseball sports, but in my spare time, I enjoy curling and I go to curling, do curling, all that. And curling added in a what's called the free guard zone. Specifically in the mid-90s, they keep on updating it because teams, uh, curling teams, had optimized around a strategy that was very, very boring and very, very predictable. And curling continues to this day to make those changes to try to make their game as entertaining as possible and as competitive as possible. In Major League Baseball, I mean, I say curling's not the only sport that does this. Lots of sports do this. And Major League Baseball needs to take that sort of hint that the game is in some ways becoming very... Um, monochromatic in a sense. Uh, And they need to start looking at how they can revitalize the game in some aspects in that way. 
The NBA three point rule is is a uh, one that stands exactly. out to me. Yeah, yeah. you know that that sort of forces defenses to defend in a different way rather than just get a bunch of big guys who can't run and back them all up to the basket. I'm not a NBA fan, so correct well, me if I'm wrong and, about this. And but. now it's the the rules have kind of shifted another way where there's so much emphasis on the three pointer and it def- uh, determines the game so much. They're talking about changing the line. I mean, they changed the lane because back in the fifties, because George Mike and dominated sort of thing. There were other reasons for that, but still basketball has been willing to change. Other sports are willing to change. Baseball needs to also be willing to make the changes necessary to kind of uh, retain that balance. Uh, good points from you both. Didn't anticipate the curling reference. That worked, <laughs> that, that worked well. Uh, I'll, I'll say that baseball is my favorite sport. And I find Major League Baseball to be dreadful to watch at this point. <laughs> I, I, and that's me. They have me as a fan for life. I will continue to watch every game. But I find the product of this three true outcome error to just be horrific, uh, 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 you know, borderline unwatchable at times, even though I will continue to watch. It, it, uh, I, I don't think baseball should change and adapt to – try and lure people that will not be fans of baseball to find baseball. But I think they should make adjustments to the game to people that are already inclined to enjoy baseball, to actually want to continue to watch uh, baseball. And so Matt, you mentioned the idea of you went into the article, probably uh, maybe hesitant or or reluctant uh, on didn't anticipate agreeing with Lindbergh, and I went into the article the same way, maybe because I, you know, you like the traditional aspects of, sure. uh, uh, of you know, so the continuity that exists within the game. But, yeah, I came away ultimately thinking, hey, if this can help lead to further uh, contact and we can get away from this current era, then maybe that is the uh, uh, the way to go. I, I but you listed off a number of things that baseball could be doing, uh, particularly the strike zone. That's something I've written about myself um, previously, like please call the strike zone that exists in the rule book with your robo umps. And uh, I believe that would force hitters uh, to be more focused on contact versus being able to just focus on launch angle. And I believe that would uh, be a way of increasing contact, putting more balls in play, putting more action uh, directly into the game. Yeah, those are things I would like to see. We'll see see what happens. But I, I you know, I'm going to say I think this is uh, worthy of further discussion. And for those of you interested, come and join the discussion that's directly on the board. And I'll encourage. Uh, Matt and Steven, I think there's plenty more to talk about here. Join, uh, join us on the on the board because I think we can hammer out uh, some more thoughts there. But we'll move on for here. We'll probably come back to this topic at another time. But kind of a secondary to this, uh, Major League Baseball has uh, deployed several experimental rules in the minor leagues this season. ESPN had articles kind of outlining the change and also what they like and also today or yesterday at our site, Baltimore Sports and Life, our colleague Gary Amita, he had uh, he wrote an article on the changes as well. You can check that out. Uh, but uh, I'll, you know, Stephen, I'll start with you here uh, of the changes 
or the experiments that baseball will be doing at the minor league level this year? What do you like? What do you don't? And what do you anticipate eventually working their way to the majors? So some of these are kind of bigger changes. They made a couple of things about, you know, increasing the size of the bases a little bit. Yeah, sure. Whatever pitch clocks, they're, they're kind of already making their way around things. Uh, robot strike zone. We know it's coming. It's going to drastically change how we evaluate catchers. It, you know, catching is going to become much more of a, you know, catch and throw position. It would seem the ones that I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the maximum of two step off throw over. Like, you know, it's the number two that gets me. It feels a little low. I wouldn't mind if it was a little higher, but uh, that one just a little interesting. The one that I feel would generate the most talk, whether or not it deserves this much talk, is the whole idea of um, the defensive positioning rules that are coming to double A. So all four infielders have to be on the dirt, and there's the chance, depending on how it works out, that they're going to limit two infielders per side when the second half of the season comes. And, you know, again, this is common. So here's the second obscure sport reference. I enjoy cricket. And cricket has these fielding power plays that were designed to uh, up the scoring a bit. Now, these power plays aren't in existence all the time. So maybe it, it could be the type of thing they have certain rules for the first six innings and the last three innings. You know, it feels a little gamey at times almost. But, you know, if they're trying to up the batting average on balls in play, while not necessarily taking away the strategic element later in the game of the better positioning, you know, they could look into this stuff. I tend to think, again, the robot strike zone's coming and some fielding restriction is coming, whether it's the literal maximum two infielders on a side or all infielders on the dirt. Those two things I think are coming at some point or another. It'll just be interesting to see the effects that they have at these lower levels. Nothing has ever made me feel more like the uh, dumber American than trying to watch cricket and trying to understand that that game. I'll, Stephen, I'll let you explain to me some other time off the air. Matt, Sounds Matt, what, Matt, what were your thoughts to uh, 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 with the uh, deployment of the experimental rules in the minors this year? Well, it made me think of uh, of Quidditch and the way that you can beat people <laughs> with brooms. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Oh boy. I don't know anything about Quidditch. I also don't know anything about cricket. So, um, but uh, yeah, the the rules are. I mean, they should be doing this. This is this is good. I think. Um, you know, the the one rule that you know we've we've already brought it up. It's not not news on this podcast or anywhere. But the you know the computerized strike zone. Uh, I feel like the people who are against it think that it you know it, it might make mistakes sometimes, which is like uh, a ridiculous argument considering what we're comparing it to. Like we're not comparing it to perfection. We should be comparing it to actual human umpires. Um, and if you've watched any spring training baseball, oh man. I mean, part of the, this is actually an interesting angle uh, that I didn't just thought of right now. Moving the mound back could actually help umpiring. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. I mean, they, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so I'll let you. Their, their reaction time that. would be their reaction time would be increased. So you know, yeah, right. Um, and you know, I think that you know, there's been articles about how umpires, you know, legitimately can't see pitches. Like they're just kind of guessing, <laughs> and uh, so that's not good. Um, it reminds me of no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm I'm making fun of Stephen too much. Just once was enough, and then I tried to do it twice, and it was that was just not wait nice. till I bring the Australian rules football references. <laughs> then we're gonna be talking. That's right. That's that's when Stephen's gonna show up in my room and put me in a headlock, um, which I will richly deserve for the record. 
Um, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, into the computerized strike zone. I, I, I hate banning the shift. It's just so, so dumb. Like you, you're allowed to have guys out there on the field. Um, and why can't you put them where you want to put them? I, it just seems, it just seems silly. You know, if, if there were, I don't know. I, I was going to say if there, you know, was a tradition of four outfielders and three infielders, and then someone got an idea of, of let's switch it, you know, would MLB, MLB like, no, you can't do that. Like <laughs> you got to have three infielders, even though it works like badly. Um, so I, I just, I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just forced silliness. I don't know. And, and, uh, but uh, other than that, like I really hope it's not it's not coming. Um, Stephen was saying it is, and I'm I'm inclined to believe him um, as with most things. But he uh, hopefully he's wrong on this one, uh, just this one. Me too. I hope I'm wrong as well. Yeah. Well, well, I think they'll be looking at the uh, the batted ball info, and if my understanding is correct, the, the first half of the year uh, the they have to be on the infield dirt, but the second half of the year they'll be directed to have two on either side uh, of the bag. So when they're looking at the batted ball information at the end of the year, they'll actually have some real numbers to compare. Uh, my sense is this is going to happen and be implemented at, at the major league level sooner than later. I, I, I think that should be the expectation, but. Um, I mean, what's, what's the goal there? Like, are you trying to allow more infield hits? Are you trying to allow more ground ball hits? That's that's the that's the so objective. In one allowing of David Ortiz to hit a single to right field, I guess. Yeah, it just it seems like is that improving allowing, allowing my Chris life? Davis back to ten versus. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, Chris Davis is going to get another extension because he once we banned the shift. Oh boy. So I, I mean, uh, Schoenfeld, David Schoenfeld of ESPN, in one of those articles, he talked about left-handers being more of an issue, uh, higher shift percentage uh, for them, uh, their average being taken away, reduced. I I mean, if it puts more balls in play, I would be for that. Uh, However, uh, uh, I I don't don't feel like that's going to happen. Do you? Yeah. The, the value I, for the home run, I feel, is going to outweigh that a little bit. But. Right, right. People are still going to be swinging for the fences, whether there's one guy on the right side of the infield or or three. I, yeah, I, I was going to say a few weeks ago, I wasn't going to pile on Davis any further, but let me let me go back to that for a second. So uh, the issue for that really bothered me with Davis during this time, and I think other Royal fans wasn't just the lack of production. It was the last, uh, the lack of countering to what was being done to him. And this was a guy that did hit for average coming up in the minors. Uh, you know, he, he showed some ability uh, that way. And then when he was really successful at the major league level, he obviously had power to all fields, but he became extremely pull conscious and, there was something and he kind of has hinted at it multiple times during the years that, that facing that additional uh, shift really got in his head. And it's like, well, okay, work the other, other way, show teams that you will use the other parts of the field and they will have to adjust how they pitch you. So uh, going to your larger point, Matt, 
yeah, really, maybe it's kind of arbitrary to make sure that you have fielders on both sides of the bag and really, you know, maybe that is kind of silly and maybe you really should just be, you know, just play the game as such. And certainly you have the information at this time in 2021 of, of where people need to be positioned. So kind of ignoring that and just making sure you have two fielders is kind of, Kind of silly, but I kind of anticipate that will happen, uh, and it will be interesting to look at the minor league information and see how that uh, you know, how that plays uh, this year. All right, uh, we'll tackle that again. You can check out Gary Ramita's article at, at our site, uh, and you can also react there uh, on the board, and uh, definitely more to discuss there as well. So we're going to go kind of rapid fire, uh, kind of two division overviews, look at the West uh, in both the National League and the American League. I have the guys, how they handicapped the division. They're also going to give their five favorite players in the division and then which individual they like to break out. Stephen, we're going to start with you with the NL West and in those kind of subcategories. Let's just go back and forth alternating between the two of you uh, and you can kick it back between you. But Stephen, go ahead. Sure. So, you know, the NL West, it's it's a two-team race. It really is. We talked a little bit about this when Tatis got his extension. So right now, Fangraphs has the Dodgers at a 65% chance. I think that's a little high. I still peg them as the favorites on that one. I put them at about a 60% chance of winning the division, but 65 is a little high. And the only thing is, like, I think the Dodgers just slightly ahead on the fifth starter. And in a division like this, where it is that close over 162 games, I mean, you know, your fifth starter is going to get 32 starts or what you can cobble together as a fifth starter. Now that said, I mean, the Padres got some prospects. If they really wanted to make a move, if they really wanted to make a big splash, they could, and that could absolutely make a, uh, make a difference in this race, but I would still put the Dodgers slightly ahead. Matt, I know when we talked about Tatis, I still had the Dodgers ahead. You had the Padres. Are you still there? It's so close for me. You know, uh, I, I feel like it might even be 50, 50. The, I feel like there's more variance with the Padres lineup. They have some guys who are younger without the track records that the Dodgers players have. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, it could kind of go, uh, you know, could go either way, I guess, for them. They could, they could have a, a Dodgers-esque offensive season or or they could be a little bit less. Um, I think I might prefer the Padres pitchers, just the guys who are starting now. Like if you look at their depth chart, the thing is the Dodgers have a much deeper, um, you know, situation. So I think injuries will hurt San Diego more than they would hurt L.A., um, yeah. you know, so yeah, it, I, it's the, it's the matchup of the century of the week of the century, uh, for baseball. And I'm excited to, uh, to stay up late and watch some, some Dodgers and, and Padres games, preferably playing against each other. Cause that, that will be a lot of fun. Yeah. And before we move on there, Colorado, Arizona, those, I don't think there are any teams there, Chris. I don't think they have teams there. No. No. <laughs> complete, complete rebuild for each of those teams because uh, I don't see them competing anytime soon. So, like, <laughs> the Giants, I feel, are a little bit, maybe a little bit further along in that process. They have a couple guys in the upper minors who might be interesting in the nearer future, let's say. And they have Brandon Belt. Don't forget that. I'm going to bring up Brandon Belt, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. One of your five favorites there. Yeah, the the yeah. Rockies are you know a, a mess. Um, 
Oh, they're yeah. just a total mess. And it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. They're going to lose Trevor Story, likely for very little. Um, they've got a couple other players on that team, but their management doesn't have any idea of what they're doing. And the funny part about that is there's just not a lot of teams that really don't know what they're doing anymore. Um, so they're really kind of a standout in that way. Um, <laughs> not so the type of standout you want to be. No, congrats to them on that. Um, I actually like the Diamondbacks to surprise people this year a little bit. Now they're going to have a really tough spot playing a lot of games against the Dodgers and Padres. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think they're going to be a better team than their you know their record maybe indicates because of that reason. They have some good players on that team. Mar- Ketel Marte. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry, Ketel Marte though. Um, I, I'm I'm still all in on him even after slightly down 2020. Yeah. Steven, uh, five favorite uh, players in the in the NL West. Well, so since he came up, I'll lead with him. So the Brandon Belt breakout is never going to come out. I don't is never going to come about. I don't think. But I I still enjoy seeing him play. Like over the past ten years, there's only been two first basemen who have put up positive fielding runs, positive base running, and positive offense. It's Brandon Belt and Paul Goldschmidt. And as I love well-rounded players like that, especially first baseman who can actually run a little. So Brandon Belt has a special place in my heart in that way. Um, another great love of mine is flexibility. So with the Dodgers, I love seeing Chris Taylor and the flexibility that he can. He's averaged 100 innings played at second base, shortstop, left field, center field, and he can play third base. Like that flexibility has some value, even if it's hard to quantify. And he does it and he puts up, you know, decent enough numbers to be playable in all that. It's nice to have that sort of flexibility stopgap. That's and the entire Red Sox roster right there that you've described. There we go. I, I say I, I say I can go back and work with Han. Flexible. I would love that. I love that roster. <laughs> Flexible stopgap. That's their that's their roster. Go ahead. Yeah. And continue with the flexibility with the Diamondbacks. He had a rough year last year, but Dalton Varsho, love guys who can catch and play other valuable positions. Forget the corner outfield in the first base. Dalton Varsho can play center field, has wheels, and can be a decent enough catcher. So he had a rough 2020, horrible batting average on balls in play. I think there'll be at least a little bounce back there. Um, so he's a guy that I always enjoy following. Um, for the Padres, I love uh, focusing on weird, obscure guys, but you got to recognize greatness when they're, when it's there. And Fernando Tatis, of course, is it. I am excited to see what he's going to do. We talked about him earlier, but only three players have had a higher uh, weighted runs created plus under the age of 22. And it's Trout, Pujols, and Juan Soto. And that's a, since 1970. And that's a pretty good trio right there. And then finally, I'll ask this question. Who's the best uh, pitcher in Rockies history? I'm curious. What, what Who would you all think of as the best Rockies pitcher in their 30 years. Um, it's probably Nolan Ryan, right? Oh, there we, there we go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I say it's, I say it's actually Orioles. Great. You Jimenez, according to fan war, but oh, um, yes, yes, by yes, the, yes. But by the time he's done, uh, Herman Marquez might be it. He's locked up on a good contract. He's put up, you know, 12 wins above replacement in 600 innings pitch. He's affordable. He might be the last man standing out on those Rockies teams and uh, and more power to him for surviving that rebuild and uh, that Coors Field env- or former Coors Field environment. It's not Coors Field anymore? Is it? I thought they changed it a couple years ago. Uh, oh, maybe no. I say, well, I'll continue to call it Coors Field at the moment. Yeah, at least. either way, right? That's what we'll call it. Okay, I'm sorry. Sure. I'm sorry. I'm still reflecting on Baldo Jimenez, but uh, <laughs> there man. has been a, a glaze in your eyes since he brought that up, Chris. <laughs> shake oh. it off. Come on, shake it off. 
Uh, I'm still stuck in the Sky Dome waiting for uh, Britain to enter. But uh, uh, oh boy, he's coming in. Don't worry, he's coming in. <laughs> yep. Uh, just on Tatis, I was obviously mad. I'm sure he's on your list, but yep. you know what a uh, a great thing for baseball to not only have the young talent, but also have his uh, personality and just uh, exuberance. And I just think that uh, adds a lot. So uh, they're fun to watch. Who else do you have uh, in the West, Matt, that you like? Well, uh, I have a not nearly as, uh, as interesting a list as Steven. So it, I, I went with a lot of, of pretty main guys, the, you know, the big names that I'm, I'm really interested to see. Uh, Tatis is, is at, you know, near the top of that list. Um, I've talked about him a lot of times before, but Mookie Betts is just a pleasure and a joy to watch play baseball. Um, just watching him. I mean, he's an amazing hitter, uh, but just watching him play right field is, is, uh, is terrific. He is, I can't imagine there might be a better right fielder in baseball, but I can't imagine it. Um, I know there's not a better base runner in baseball and I refuse to look at any statistics to confirm or deny that, uh, that fact. Um, so, uh, Betts, uh, Tatis, uh, Cody Bellinger, I think is going to have a big say in how things go in the, yeah. uh, for the Dodgers this year. I know he, uh, he's got a new batting stance. Um, he's coming off of, uh, I think off season surgery. Um, and he's not looked good in the, uh, you know, in, in, in spring training, there's, there's two things I know about that. Uh, one is that spring training stats don't matter. And the other is that, um, he's doomed because I drafted him on, on my fantasy team. So, um, that's, uh, it's not going to turn out well for poor Cody Bellinger this year. I'm sorry to say, um, uh, Kershaw, I mean, my gosh, this is, uh, this is the, you know, one of the best pitchers of all time, right? Clayton Kershaw at this point, um, does he have, uh, another year in him, you know, at the, at the top of, uh, top of the heap, or is he, you know, still coming down the other side a little bit, like it looked like a couple of years ago he was pretty good last year. Um, last year being last year though, who knows? So I'm really eager to see him, you know, another year of uh, ridiculous EFIS curveballs that just make batters, um, you know, sort of a cower in the corner of the batter's box. I'm, uh, I'm all for that. And um, Kenley Jansen is a guy that I'm, I'm really interested to watch pitch. Hey, this might be the last year of his contract. And uh, he's older. I see Steven's looking that up because that's great. Um, and it, uh, uh, he's a free agent. It says 2022. Okay. So yeah, so he'll be a free agent next year. So this is the last year of his, his deal then. Um, and you know, he's, he's kind of a, he's kind of a Dodgers great with, without hit with, you know, his kind of peak, not really coinciding with the team's peak. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what he has left. I think that's five. Yeah, no, that's five. I say, incidentally, I think you can count on me to continue to bring the weirdness at this point between my odd love of odd players, cricket and curling. No, it's great. Uh, I, I mean, other, you know, there's only so many people who can pick Tatis, Kershaw, Betts, Bellinger, you know, like that's it takes a special, uh, special inside baseball knowledge to, to go with that list. Or uh, just an odd mind. Uh, I, I noticed neither of you guys uh, had Machado on your list, but we'll move on. Uh, uh, the, uh, we've we've breakout, discussed him before. He's he's not, yeah. Anyway, yeah. The breakout candidate uh, for you. Uh, let's see. I feel like I've been hearing about Chris Paddock forever, and it's probably because I know in the Rays front office we loved him, even coming coming off the injury after his minor leagues in 2016. We absolutely loved him. I think there's a chance that, you know, 
that he, this could be a big year. I mean, just a little bit of command pl- with his, and then, you know, some, he has a plus changeup and I love changeups, but if you're not feeling a uh, Chris Paddock, uh, Zach Gallon with the diamondbacks is another guy who I think like the peripherals aren't great, but he really can locate his pitch as well. Yeah. Matt. Uh, Gavin Lux on the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's an incredibly talented guy. Uh, you know, he, he got picked, I think, 20th overall, 20th, 23rd. Um, About that. With the Dodgers. Yeah, so good job, um, other baseball teams. And um, he's, uh, you know, not probably not a very good fielder, but it, it seems like in this modern era, you can stick a guy with his bat at uh, at second base. Um, you know, he's, he's – uh, I don't think he's shown a lot in, you know, in the majors yet. He's so obviously very young. So, but he, it looks like he's going to get a chance this year. And, uh, you know, that, that team does not need another great hitter in the lineup, but they may be getting one. So I'm going to call a wild card and we're going to uh, skip the American league West for tonight. We'll get them another, another week and quickly go through a couple of uh, Oriole topics. Just kinda... You don't want to talk about Mike fires <laughs> quickly moving on. <laughs> Uh, Cal Franco, Matt, you wrote an article. Stephen, I'll get to your reaction there. The Orioles have made that signing uh, official, uh, and he may be joining the team to start the year, or he may have an extended spring as they uh, try and work him, uh, uh, get him some additional at-bats uh, before the start of the year. Stephen, thoughts on the signing? So if this is where the Orioles are in the kind of uh, rebuild process, this is a good signing. Like, you know, this is not what you'd necessarily expect if this was the year, but this is the type of signing that I like for. I mean, say if you're going to go for the low cost, sure, you know, what, a million dollars. He's still young enough to still have a little something there. It's a position that needs a little bit of an upgrade. And, you know, there's some things to like about him, you know, isn't, you know, striking out at 30% of the time. He's the type of guy that if if he hits, he should be pretty easily flippable. I mean, I wouldn't expect a ton, but at the level of spinning that the Orioles are at at this point, yeah, just great signing. I'll take it. Matt, an upgrade over Ruiz? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I told you I would do this. I, I echo everything Steven said. Um, I think that's... Uh, I think it's correct. It's a good, good way to go. We'll... Yeah. Um, the, uh, what was I going to say? The, um, the Orioles have, you know, a, a position, they're in a position where they can effectively use their roster spots, um, you know, that, that aren't currently manned by guys who could be long-term, you know, solutions um, as, uh, as, as placeholders to, uh, bring in guys and, you know, on, on cheap deals, turn them into something and then, and then flip them for value in the future. And and I think that's, you know, that's sort of what they're doing with the left, the entire left side of their infield. Hunter Harvey has an oblique injury. Those can linger. And he's since been placed on the 60 day DL. And that is so far the negative news of spring training for me, as I was looking forward to seeing Harvey, hopefully get a full season and get a better sense of what exactly the Orioles have there. But He'll have to work his way back in later in the year, and you figure once he's healthy, you know, in, inning at a time, he should be able to join the Orioles fairly quickly as soon as uh, that 60-day w- window is up and he is healed. Uh, but that has some roster implications. Uh, Matt, kind of, you know, just kind of general thoughts. Uh, let's stick to the bullpen right now, kind of how you see that being being comprised. I mean, he was the guy that I think was going to get a lot of high leverage innings in the bullpen. And so, 
now you're going to turn to some other young guys to take over that role. Um, I think it's a good opportunity for Tanner Scott. Um, you know, it's a good opportunity for Dylan Tate. I'm not that high on Travis Lakins, but you know, um, that's a, that's a guy that could, uh, you know, could, could step up too. He's, he's got a fastball on him. Um, so, you know, it, it, it sucks when a guy like Harvey goes down, but this is a consistent pattern, sadly. And I, I don't, uh, I don't hold out a, a lot of hope for him holding together for a full season ever. Steven, uh, I was kind of, I guess I've questioned some of the roster configurations I've seen by some of the beat reporters where they have had Tate kind of on the, on the outside in at least prior to Harvey's injury of making the roster, which options aside, Tate should be part of this roster. Uh, as Matt, you know, mentioned with Harvey's injury, there is a, you know, his path should be that much easier. You know, you know, just general thoughts on Harvey's injury, maybe on Tate and, and the bullpen going forward. Yeah. You, you really hate to see this. There was so much hope, even if like, the hope for him being a starter is long gone. There was hope that he could be a lever- high leverage bullpen guy. And yes, this is an opportunity for Tate to step up. Honestly, in the bullpen, this I think at least ups the chances that some of the, that one of the rule guy, rule five guys sticks just from a pure roster perspective. But so I would, so even before the injury, I was more excited about putting Tanner Scott in those uh, high leverage innings sort of thing. I am a, I'm a big believer in what he brings to the table, but the player that I honestly think this has the biggest implications for in terms of a roster spot and all is who we wanted to talk out, talk about next actually with Bruce Zimmerman. Cause I think honestly, the bullpen doesn't look like a lot of guys who can be swingmen right now. It's a lot of shorter, shorter impact sort of guys, at least if you're trying to maximize their usefulness, maximize their potential. But I see Bruce Zimmerman right now as an MLB swingman. He can actually put that up. He has fourth or fifth starter potential, and I think that there's a chance he's there in September, especially with uh, Felix Hernandez looking a little iffier at the moment. But I think, honestly, Bruce Zimmerman is the guy that stands to gain the most out of this because, I mean, really, there's not much he has left to prove in the minors. You know, maybe they'll hold him down for, you know, various service time considerations. But I think this is an opening for Zimmerman to get on the roster and, but again, by September, kind of start moving into a possible rotation role. Yeah, good point there, Stephen. Uh, Matt with Zimmerman and the kind of the questions at the back of the rotation right now. Uh, and as Stephen mentioned, uh, King Felix, eh, it's questionable to me if he's going to actually come north. Uh, you know, would you be looking at Zimmerman for the fifth starter to break camp or, or do you, you break him in in terms of the uh, bullpen and have him in that swing capacity uh, utilizing there? How do you see that? I mean, it, I guess it depends on how the Orioles are evaluating him individually. For me, I, I would put him in the fifth starter spot and maybe kind of protect him a little bit there. Um, you know, if you can, if you have guys in the pen, like Stephen was a good piece of, analysis there they don't really have guys who can go long in the pen so maybe you do need him there more i think i think you try it with your prospects you try to push them um and get the most out of them in a role that you know that still fits their realistic ceiling um and i think there's a possibility he could be a fifth starter i know there's some analysts out there who really think he could be um 
And I think that's probably his highest and best use to the team. So um, there's no real need to have a guy like Felix Hernandez who looked bad before he uh, got hurt. I mean, can you imagine a worse spring training for, for him? And yeah. Matt Harvey has been bad and uh, doesn't, doesn't look good either. I mean, both these guys, like it's good. They brought them in. I think it's, it's, it was a good thing to I, do. I, I, at least uh, Har- I mean, outings don't really mean anything other than whatever, but at least Harvey, he still has a velocity and he did still has kind of a, you can see the break a little bit. I can at least envision the arm, uh, uh you know, Hernandez it's yeah, it's gone. I, I don't see it, uh, you know, but Moving on, last topic. One, we'll just get out of here. What, what are your uh, curious? What your guys' current lineup would be uh, based off of who we expect to come north uh, and just to start the year? So we can go from uh, let's just go position by position and, and alternate. Uh, uh, so, catcher Stephen, who's your starting catcher generally uh, between Severino and Cisco? I think it's just such an even platoon. The concept of a starter doesn't really apply too well there. I'd say it's just an even split. Yeah, probably the correct answer. And Matt, I'm sure you basically agree. Yeah, mostly. Right. So first, obviously, we're uh, Mancini will be at first. Uh, So I was going position by position. But instead of doing this, let's just uh, how how would you configure the lineup? Uh, And uh, Matt will just let you run down and then Stephen can uh, have any retort he has. I mean, I don't think it. With the caveat that it just doesn't matter all that much, I I would I would take my best guys and shove them up towards the top, you know, yep. um, without regard to speed for the most part. Like, the Orioles don't really have anybody, um, you know, who's just insanely slow. Like even Cisco can move a little bit. Um, I guess Severino's probably pretty slow. Maybe you put him back towards the end of the lineup, but, um, you know. I put Mount Castle close to the top of the lineup. I put Mancini close to the top of the lineup. I put Santander close to the top of the lineup. Um, Austin Hayes, same thing. Those are all the guys that I think need to get the most at-bats that you want to find out. Are those the guys that that you're going to, you know, at least in part build the next great Orioles team around to some extent? And those are the guys that I uh, I would put up uh, up top. So right now, all the positions are pretty much established. We know who's going to be manning right. each each position, except the lower question right now is center field mm-hmm. uh, with Mullins and Hayes. Uh, and does that mean you would potentially put Hayes in left with uh, you know, with Mountcastle at DH, or are you rolling with Hayes in center and – Stewart at DH and Mountcastle in in left. Uh, Stephen, how do you see that working out? <laughs> I mean, I want Hayes in the lineup every single day. I, yeah. I do want I do want Mullins to have some time. I want to see is that defense that he showed a little bit of in um, last year is that legit? I want to see if he's you know sufficiently adjusted a little bit if he can bring at least even maybe a you know five ten percent below league average profile if he can do that with sufficient defense that's still a starter not a strong starter but still a starter so i want some time for mullins but i want hayes in the lineup every single day splitting time with mullins and center and on the days that he isn't send him to left i'm team hayes uh that's good good. and uh thanks for joining us come to the board and get into these discussions uh uh plenty more to talk about thanks for listening tonight we'll catch you again soon take care